The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. We're jumping ahead in Ephesians. You can, you're can you already there, hopefully, uh, in chapter 5. Last week, we were in chapter 4. We're going to jump around a little bit over the next few weeks uh, just because of the way we want to stress some things. Um, but last week, we talked about how there's an expectation that the life of a Christian is going to look different than the people who aren't believers. There's sort of this expectation in Scripture that our life is going to look different. We talked about how the change that God is going for probably isn't the change that a lot of us maybe assumed or were taught is the change that was needed. So a lot of times, like, churches have been about don't do the bad things and do the good things, right? You guys need to stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. And so every week you go, it's a reminder of stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. And Sometimes we think as Christians, like our duty is to that, I need to stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. And that's like anything, like going to the gym or losing weight or trying to you know, be a better husband. Like it's, it's really tough. I'm not saying those things are sin. I'm just saying as, as cha- the whole change process. It's really hard to, uh, to stop doing the things that we know that we should be doing and start doing the new things. We talked about how the, the primary change that needs to occur in our life isn't for us to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. The primary change that needs to happen in all of our lives is to go from death to life. The primary change that has to occur is that we, we go from blindness to sight. The problem at the very beginning is that I am separated from Jesus Christ and that as a sinner, I need to be reconciled with the Father and that that only can happen through the sacrificial atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross for me. That's the, that is what needs to happen. When that happens, I am translated Scripture says from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I'm brought from death to life. I'm brought from blindness to sight. That's the first change that needs to occur. And then we talked about how the other changes that need to happen are changes that as we are, are, are like a prisoner, because I, I botched the Shawshank uh, illustration, if you remember. Like, but the change that needs to occur is that like a prisoner who's been freed from prison but he's been in there a long time, he has to relearn how to live life. Or like somebody who's lost a lot of weight or has, something has changed or has grown. Like I heard somebody talking with, with Mary Shanks before the service, like how much she has grown over the past year, over the, even the past summer, and how her, her clothes don't fit her anymore. That's what, that's what happens as we go from death to life, that the, the old behaviors that used to fit us, they don't fit us anymore. It totally changes the way that we view life and we view the world. It turns everything upside down. That only makes sense because that shift has occurred because I now have a different Lord than I had before. I have a different person that I'm serving and looking out for than I was looking out for before. Before I was serving myself, now I'm serving Jesus Christ. And so that's going to cause the way that I view the world and the way I view everything to totally and radically change. And that's what we're talking about in this section of, Hebrew, of, of Ephesians is how, how our new life changes the way that we think. So there are, are kind of four big ideas. Well, not four big ideas. There, there are four things, I think, that, that really set us apart from Christians because we are thinking differently than we used to think before that really cause us to stand out in our modern culture that we're in right now. 
I'm not saying these are the four most important things, but there are the four biggies that kind of separate us, I think. So number one, I think it is that the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Uh, people don't like to talk about exclusivity, that there's only one way. We want to think there's lots of ways and that God is like so loving and benevolent, which he is, but we want to think that he's so loving and benevolent that, that he's just going to kind of make a way for us to get to him apart from Jesus Christ. And he's already told us that's the only way to the Father. Is through Jesus Christ. The second, but whenever you stand for that, it's really going to make us stand out in a society that really that rubs them the wrong way. The second thing is that I think really makes us stand out is the the fact that we believe in a, a a literal hell. That we believe that people who are separated from Jesus Christ are doomed for eternity, separated from Him in damnation, and that's what we call hell. And that's a very uncomfortable thing to believe and uncomfortable thing to talk about. But because we believe that, it makes us stand apart because people look at that and they see, you know, they, they can't jive with that. They, why would God send somebody to an eternal hell? We can't talk about it this morning, but that's something that makes us stand out. I think number three and number four things that, that make, really make us stand out to people are that number, number three is that God has ordained different roles for men and women. As Christians, we believe that God has created us differently as men and women and that, that makes us stand out in society. And number four is that homosexual sex is a sin. Now, that's not to say that all of those are equally important. I think number one and number two, that Jesus Christ is the only way and that there's, you're doomed to eternal damnation apart from Jesus Christ, is, are the two biggies. As Christians, that's what we should focus on. But what's happened over the past 10, 15, 20 years is that Christians have focused on number, two, on number three and number four, and we try to get society to accept those things, and they're not going to. See, the, society is going to believe differently about Jesus, about hell, about homosexuality, about marriage and gender differences because they serve a different Lord, because they view things differently, and so that's okay. So as we go into talking about wives, husbands, sex, and marriage over the next three Sundays, we don't, what we're not trying to do is we're not trying to convince society to accept an old kind of thinking about marriage. What we're trying to do as believers is to understand how God would have us think about our roles as men and women and the role of marriage in the church. Does that make sense? All right. So here are a couple questions I'm going to ask you guys, and then we're going to move on and look at the text. As we're thinking about how society views things differently than we do, number one, does marriage matter anymore? That's a question that some people are asking. Does marriage even matter anymore? Because we, is it just a, a piece of paper? A lot of people who um, are... Um, a lot of people who are strong in the natural selection camp believe that, that marriage is something that is going to go away, that we're not going to have 50, 100 years from now, that it's something that society had in order so that you could procreate and you could kind of pro- protect your family, but that males aren't made that way. Have you guys heard this? Like males aren't made to be monogamous. They're made to kind of just go and spread their seed all over the place and have as many babies as they possibly can. And so now that society has evolved, we don't need the protection of marriage that... Uh, we're not going to even have that anymore. People are going to run around and just have as many babies, and society protects us in a way that marriage isn't, uh, isn't needed anymore. So does marriage matter anymore? Is it, this, is it a dinosaur that's lasted past its usefulness and will soon be extinct? Number three is the question of, does, does God hate women? 
Because whenever you start talking about different roles for men and women, what people are going to hear us say, and what you may even hear me saying this morning, is that God doesn't love women as much as he does men, and that is not true. But there's that question. Does God hate women, or does God look down on women? Do Christians hate women? So when when Christians talk about that there are different roles in the home for a husband and a wife, there's different roles in the church, even for men and women, that men are allowed to be elders and that that's not the, a place that Scripture opens up for women. Women can be anything except elders. That's our stance here at Doxa. Like at, it sounds to people like you're, like you're hating on the women. Next question is, are women considered second class in the church? And then another question is, does equality equal sameness? You know, we all have strong thoughts on marriage. We all have strong thoughts on marriage. So we're going personal here, not just society, but you and your thoughts. And your thoughts and my thoughts are determined by a lot of things. It may be determined by the the Cosby Show. Anybody ever watched that growing up or watch reruns of the Cosby Show? It's like the perfect family. You got got Dad and Ma Huxable and the kids, and they're dancing and doing jazz, and Dad's cracking jokes, and you know all kinds of fun stuff going on, like the perfect family. Or maybe your idea of marriage has been formed by Friday Night Lights, and you know you see the, the way they interact with each other and the kids. Or maybe your idea of marriage is is formed by Modern Family. It might be formed by reading Withering Heights or by reading Pride and Prejudice. It might be your form of like marriage is formed by a lot of different things. It might be formed on. Your family's history, your, your parents' relationship or lack thereof, it might be formed by your friends' parents and their relationship or lack thereof, but all of us have strong thoughts on marriage. The question is, where do our thoughts come from? Where do our thoughts and opinions come from? Are they come from our past and history? Does it come from culture, things that we've read and things that we've watched? Are there things that have come from watching our parents and the things that they did well and we think they didn't do well? Or is it formed from Scripture? So let's look at Scripture this morning. Before we even look at Ephesians, let's look back at Genesis. Let's look back at the very beginning and see the, the Christian roots of marriage, or actually the, the roots of marriage altogether, before we, before we proceed. So we're going to just run through the story. I wish I could take like three or four weeks and talk about this, but... The guys only gave me one week on wives, one week on husbands, and one week on sex. So, um, yeah, two weeks from now should be pretty interesting, guys. Pray for me that we're going to talk about sex. Um, verse 15 of chapter 2. So God's created man, and so the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So you see the very beginning, I love to point out this out every time that man had a job from the very beginning. Man had a job before the curse. Verse 16, um, I don't have that up on the board, but we'll just read this along. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you should not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So that's very interesting right off the bat. So creation is perfect so far, right? Are you guys tracking with me? Nothing bad has happened in creation. Every day at the end of creation, God creates and he says what? He says it is good. It is very good, he says. 
He goes on through the, the progression. He creates man, puts him in the garden, gives him a job. So man has a pretty cushy job. He's got a corner office. He is over the whole thing. He's an executive right off the bat. He runs the world. Pretty sweet gig. And he has perfect communion with the Father, with God. The God who created the heavens and the earth comes down, and the Scripture tells us that it was in his habit that he would come down and they would walk together through the garden. So can you imagine like, what that would be like? So, hey, Adam, tell me what you've been up to. And so he takes them through. Uh, see, I don't have a job that I get to do that. Well, I do title searching. And so, but, but, but Ryan has a really cool job. Like, he gets to see every day like, something. He's pre- he builds houses. Uh, and so he, he can like, kind of walk through. Yeah, this house was not here two weeks ago, and now this is here. This wall was not here. Now it was. So as, like, they're walking through the garden, and, God, and God's like, hey, like he didn't already know. But he's kind of playing with them because he's like his son. He's like, so, so, so tell me, what you been up to today? And Adam's like, oh, hey, look at this. I found this over here, and I'm calling these bushes. And I found this over here, and that's, I'm calling this dude a giraffe. He's got this crazy neck. And hey, look over here. I'm going to call this a river. Look, the water moves. And over here, the water stays still. I'm going to call that a lake. Can you imagine how fun that would be? To, every day they, they come down and walk, and he's got a job. He's got a pretty cool deal going on, beautiful creation. I mean, he's just running around doing whatever he wants. He doesn't have to work. He just, uh, like, like for, the, for food, he just grabs them off bushes and trees and eats it. How cool would that be? And so they're walking through creation, and yet God looks and he comes one day and he says, you know what? It's not good that man be alone. He made man from the very beginning incomplete. He made man from the very beginning needing a partner. Uh, guys, have you ever... Uh, you ever lived on your own, had a bachelor pad? You ever had the, the wife leave for a week or two? Like, I'm, I'm not trying to stereotype here, but, you know, I, I've been to some bachelor pads, and, you know, I, I, uh, a, a couple of years ago, me and my buddies, we went to go see a concert up in Columbia, and I had a friend who was in college, and we decided we are going to stay with him and his friends. Boy, I'll never again. That place was nasty. I'm like, I've gotten too accustomed to, like, having a, a you know, a reasonably clean house and a bed to sleep in and like food to eat. They were literally eating dumpster donuts out of a trash bag that they had got out of, of the Dunkin' Donuts garbage can at the end of the day. And they're like, it's a feast and there's stuff everywhere. And I'm like, this is horrible. This is absolutely horrible. It is not good for man to dwell alone. We, from the very beginning, God created us needing a helper. So then look at uh, verses 20 through 25. So, uh, uh, verse twenty-two: the man of the heaven, uh, the man, sorry, the man of the heavens. That wouldn't make any sense. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So he went on a search, looking for this helper that God told him to find. So then the Lord God, and I think this whole thing was to show him, there's only one person that can do this for you. There's only one being that can fill this for you. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the ribs that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, can you imagine, like your first time seeing a woman, and she comes up to you, and God's bringing her to you, and as like a wedding ceremony, he's walking her down the aisle to you, and 
You're naked and not ashamed. We're getting ready to see in a second. She's naked and not ashamed, coming down the middle of the garden, and he, it causes him to write poetry, right? Man never wrote poetry until he saw a woman the first time. And this, I mean, it doesn't really translate into English, but this was great poetry at the time. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I mean, he is just transfixed. He's like singing her. Maybe he created a, a guitar at the time, and he's like singing to her. I don't know, got mariachi band going on. He is super excited with it. And then verse 24, this is key, these next two verses. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. They were in perfect unity, peace, and harmony with each other. Man, Adam was created needing a helper, needing somebody to come alongside him and fill in a gap that God himself did not create himself to fulfill. God God made Adam to need the woman from the very beginning, that he would be incomplete without her. They're like two puzzle pieces that match perfectly together. They click and they're living together in harmony. And then we know this, maybe you don't know the story, but like Satan comes, comes to Eve, they sin, things go bad, everything is perfect, all of a sudden everything's going downhill, God comes and he curses Satan, and then he talks to Eve, and let's look at verse uh, 16 of chapter three. To the woman he said, I will surely, so this is her curse for sin, he, he curses He curses the serpent, he curses the woman, he curses Adam. We'll talk about Adam next week. This week, women, you get the deal. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Anybody in here say amen? In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So we see woman's role in the relationship with the husband from the curse that comes. So the things that were most important to the woman, that she is the giver of life. That's what the name Eve means. It means the mother of life, the giver of life. She, the, what an honor it is for women to, to give birth and to, to be the ones that carry life inside you, to give birth. It was a great, great honor that God bestowed upon the woman. He also bestowed the honor. We can't get into this this week. I wish I could really go into this, but we have to focus on the text today. But he also gave woman the, the honor of being the beautiful one. Guys, y'all ain't the beautiful one. We are not the beautiful one. We're made to reflect God's beauty and glory in different ways. Women are made to reflect God's glory in a totally different way. They're the ones that are beautiful. They're the ones that shine forth and show forth God's, God, the, the, the particular aesthetic beauty of God, his, his caring nature, his nurturing nature, which is tied up in them giving birth. But then look at this second part. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. In the original language, it's kind of very difficult. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it's very difficult to translate this section. When it says your desire shall be for your husband, it has this picture of, um, it has this picture of whereas you were created to fit together just perfectly and live in harmony and unity with each other, now that's going to be, broken in such a way that you're going to have, your desire is going to be not to submit to the husband, which is the way that he made her in the very beginning, but it's going to be to want to like 
rule over him and sort of like, have you ever like ridden with somebody in the car and you don't trust the way they drive? You ever been in that position? I'm not naming any names, but you know, I took two recent road trips with Justin Kramer over the past couple of weeks. And, and there are times where Dale and I were like pumping the brakes back in the back seat. We're like jerking an imaginary steering wheel over. I'm not saying I don't trust him. I trust him. I, but I would sometimes just close my eyes. So I would have to see what's going on. You ever been in a position where you're, some, you're somebody, you're, like they're driving, but you're not sure like their mind is there. I'm not saying he's this. I'm not saying other people. You're not sure their mind is there. You're not sure they're seeing what you're seeing on the road right now. And that's sort of what it's going to be like for the woman as a result of the fall. Their curse is going to be that they're, they're just not going to be able to trust the husband. There's going to be desire just to reach over and grab the wheel and jerk it and go in a different way. Your desire shall be for your husband, but yet he shall rule over you. That's the curse. So where there there's was to be this perfect unity and harmony in these different roles that God created man and woman for, now the woman is wanting to just this, this constant sense of wanting to usurp it, grab the handle, and pull it in a different direction. In light of that, let's look at Ephesians 5. We're going to look at verses 22 through 24, and then we're going to jump down to, thir- to uh, uh, 31 and 33, particularly 33. Wives, submit to your own Husbands as to the Lord. So, right off the bat, he's got you, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not a woman. I would imagine that would be very uncomfortable to read. I would imagine that would be very uncomfortable to hear. I think it would be hard, but you can pray for me. I think it would be hard to hear a white dude get up and tell me, like, that I need to submit. It's the text, it's, it's not me. So let's talk about what that means, to submit. It, right, right off the bat, we see that he's referring back to this very beginning, this role that woman was created for, but has been broken. And so he's saying that, that, that there are different roles, God-given roles from the very beginning of creation that he hardwired into men and into women. And he created us for marriage. There are some of us that are given a gift not to be married, but generally he's created us to be married. He's created us to need a partner and that there are different roles between a husband and a wife. And we're going to see how the husband's called the head and the wife is called to submit. Now, what does that mean and what does that look like? So what it does not mean, I'll tell you this, is that the husband is like a... a a tyrant, a dictator, and a ruler, it's my way or the highway. You have to submit and listen to me and do what I say or you're out of here. That's not the wording here. We're going to get into that. That's not what it is. It's not saying that a woman is lesser than a man. It's saying that there are different roles. What is submission? So the wording here in the, is, 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 I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's saying that someone is given, it means it's the picture of sort of like a, a private submitting to a lieutenant. It's just about, even rank is kind of hard, but it, it's about somebody who is, or, or about your boss saying, I want you to be at work at 9 o'clock, and you say, 
I'm going to submit to the boss, and I'm going to be at work at 9 o'clock. Does that mean that your boss is more valuable than you are as a person? That may not even mean that the boss is more valuable to the company than you are. Who's more valuable to the Denver Broncos? John Fox, who's the head coach, or Peyton Manning, who's the quarterback? I can tell you who's more valuable to the Denver Broncos. But, and I can tell you who's paid more. Peyton Manning is far richer than John Fox will ever be. But when John Fox says, I want you to run this play, what does he do? He runs that play. Not because John Fox is more important, more valuable. Well, maybe Peyton Manning doesn't always, but generally, (laughs) if if John Fox says, you run this play, I I guarantee you, Peyton, Peyton will run that play. And then if it doesn't work, then they'll run a different play next time. But that's, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. We're getting off subject. It doesn't have to do with value. It has to do with a, with, a, with a role that you have. Submit, and then look at the next phrase, to your own husbands. Submit to your own husbands. So what he's not saying here is that women are less than men. Notice he didn't tell you, like, submit to anybody else's husband or to submit to any other man in the church. Women are not less than. We are all equal in the sight of God. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, which is the, actually the powerful thing about this whole passage that he's talking about. We're going to be, as he's talking about husbands and wives now, then he's going to go into parents and children. Then he goes into masters and bondservants. He is addressing both parties in each of these actions. See, that was the idea that the husband should be the head of the household was not a new idea in ancient society. The idea that they wouldn't rule harshly over the women and that women would be addressed as free people who he is telling them willingly and joyfully subject yourself to your husband, that was a brand new and revolutionary idea. It's not keeping your wife in line with a whip. It is the wife submitting herself willingly and joyfully to the husband for a reason that is revolutionary. That's the picture that's being painted. It's no less than. You and I are equal. If you're a husband of another, if you're, if you're somebody's wife in this room or, or anywhere, your wife is not called to submit to me. She's called to submit to you. And you're not, as a woman, not called to submit to every man like you're less than like you have to walk half a step behind him all the time. You are an equal person under Jesus Christ, bought with his blood. You are a daughter of the king. And it is your honor, just as we all have different roles at work, we have different roles in society, we have different roles in the house. And the, the thing is that that's where, that's where joy is found. Look at the next phrase. Submit to your own husband's as to the Lord. So the purpose of you submitting to your, to your husband's wives isn't about the husband trying to keep you in line, not trying to keep you in step, but it's because you're not submitting to him because he's awesome or because simply because he's a man. You're submitting to him as unto Christ. That's your great honor to be a daughter of the king and to be submitting to the king's kingship through your husband. So, so at your work, you may have a middle manager. You know, he's not the CEO of the whole company, but you report to this person. Or maybe, the, or maybe you, if you work at a restaurant, there's an assistant manager. The, the general manager's not there that day. But you, are, you may not like this assistant manager. He's not the boss. He can't fire you. But whenever 
But whenever he says, I want you to do this, you do it because you're, you're respecting the chain of authority up to the general manager. And that's the same way it happens in the home. That you aren't submitting just to your husband because he's the end all. You know, he's the great dog and everybody is all you know, serving him at his feet. It's because by you doing so, you're fulfilling the role that God has called you to and you're showing respect and loving and submitting to the king, your father, by submitting to his son. Does that make sense? Submit to, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So that also has, is speaking about joy here. Because as we talked about last week, you remember that, I mentioned last week, you remember that feeling whenever you first understood that if I'm going to become a Christian, then I'm going to have to submit myself to the Lord. I'm going to have to recognize that he's the boss and I'm not, that he's the king and I'm not. I don't make him king. I recognize his kingship. I recognize his authority, that my life isn't going to be my own anymore, that I'm bought with a price. And remember that thinking as you're sort of wrestling with that and trying to figure out what that looks like and you, you, he gives you his grace so that you're able to bow your knee to him? Like that, That's an amazing the response you would think would be to, to, to worship Jesus Christ as Lord, that I'm not, you'd think it would be like, um, like, like you have to grit your teeth and do it sometimes. But it's not like that. Whenever you submit to Jesus Christ, you find joy in it. You find fulfillment because that's what you were created for. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And so whenever you get to submit to him, love him, obey him, honor him, we find great joy in that. We find great peace and contentment in that. It's the bringing back together of that shalom that we saw at the very beginning, that, that place, first of all, with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, that we were called to be in with him where we love and serve and obey him as Lord and find our meaning and identity in him. When we do that, we find great joy and peace. And by submitting to our husbands, we find that great joy and peace. Guys, this comes on the other side. I promise you, I'm not saying it's tougher on the guy's side, but there's, there's a lot, there's, a, there's like, I think there's 40 words in this section talking about wives. There's 115 talking about men. Because guys, next week we're going to be talking about how you are called to sacrifice for your wives and live lives of constant sacrifice for their sake. Look at um, verse 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now what it's saying is, is not saying here is that the man is the Savior. He's talking about Jesus Christ at the end there. But he's saying that the husband is the head of the wife. What is what does that mean? You, you know what that means? That means that in that sort of driving scenario we're talking about, uh, there's a lot of things that can go on in a car, right? You're driving with kids and they're screaming and things are flying in the air and you're trying to feed them. You're on a, a road trip and you've got you to you change the DVD player and you know, kind of fig, configure things. and the, the, everything, All kind of things could be going on in the car. But if you... <laughs> it, there can be, anyway, a lot of things can be going on in the car... But if the car gets pulled over, who gets the ticket? The person driving. And that's what he's saying is he's talking about when he says the husband is the head of the wife. He's saying that the man is responsible. I don't know if you've ever been in any sort of management 
position, but it's, it's not like you think like, if you, when I worked for somebody, I thought, I always thought, man, it'd be great to be the one who calls all the shots. When you get on the other side, you're like, man, it really stinks to be the one that has to call all the shots. It, having, being the responsible one, see, I get calls from my clients. I'm the one that gets the tough calls. When they call and say, hey, you guys did this wrong. Hey, there's something wrong. Hey, we're going to, you missed something. You did this, you did that. Uh, we're having this issue. I'm the one that has to listen to that. They have no idea. They just get their paycheck and things go on as normal. It's not, it's not on them. I'm the one responsible. My employee may be the one that missed the mortgage. I've had this happen a couple of times when I'm searching titles. Something gets missed that needs to be accounted for. It's not accounted for. They don't get the call. I get the call. I'm the one that's responsible for it. And something has to be paid. Something has to be taken care of. That falls on me. And that's what it means that the husband is the head of the wife. It means that whenever, whenever the light starts flashing and we get pulled over, it doesn't matter who's wearing, not wearing a seatbelt. I'm the one that gets the ticket for that. It has to talk where the buck stops. So guys, that should be a weighty thing on you as we go into next week. And ladies, that should be a freeing thing to you. That, that you don't have to be the one that bears that. All right. Now let's look at uh, verse 24. Now, as the, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So what does that phrase mean? Uh, I want to clear this up before we go on because I don't want there to be any snide comments on cars leaving here or at some point at lunch or something and saying, you're supposed to submit to me in everything. That's not the idea that's going on here, that, that, uh, that you're the tyrant and you're calling the shots and she's just here to kind of please you and make you happy and to do, do your bidding and go get you water and go get me this and bring it to me. What he's saying is that it encompasses all of life. Why should submit to husbands and everything? So what does that look like in day-to-day life? Well, I mean, that's part of the adventure of being married is to try to figure it out. There's some parts of marriage that you just have to kind of figure out as you're into it uh, because there's different personalities involved. Like, there's certain things like, you have to, when you're married, you have to learn how to have sex with your wife because you're your wife is a particular person with her particular personality, and nobody can tell you how to have sex with your wife. That's something you have to learn as you go along. And how it works out in each household for submission is sort of like it's unique to each household. But here's some, some principles that, it's, that it should include and it's not. That as a husband, just like any, I think, good boss, good authority figure, that you're not the one like calling all the shots and she's here to obey you. There should be consensus building because you are both child, children of the king. She is a daughter of the king who is uniquely made to reflect his glory in a particular way. And you are made to reflect his particular glory in another way. And it's not my way or the highway you serve me because what did God say when man was alone in the garden? He said, it is not good for man to dwell alone. You need the woman. You need her interaction. You guys need to make decisions together, come to, come to consensus together. You guys need to be, you, 
you will be better as a team if you are both contributing your thoughts, your efforts, your energies into day-to-day decisions, big decisions, when you're going to have kids, how you're going to have kids, how you're going to parent them, how we're going to parent this situation, where we're going to live, what job I'm going to take. You don't like come home and say, I decided this. We're going to move. I took this job. We're do- I'm gonna- I spent all this money because I'm the one that's in charge and you just have to listen to what I say. You, your job as a husband And ladies, your job is together to build consensus. Now, what does it mean that you submit to him and everything? It means that at some point, you and your husband, hopefully most of the time, are going to come to an agreement. And and guys, oftentimes, if I, I have found that if my wife is like raising the red flag and she's saying this is not a good idea, that I should really, really listen to that. There have been rare occasions where my wife and I could not get on the same page and a decision had to be made and I had to make a call. And so what it's sort of like is that the fact that I'm the head of my household is that I get the tiebreaker. That's what it means. It means whenever it comes to that point, the decision has to be made, we have to do something, we have to move on, we can't keep talking about it, that I have to be, I have to be the one that makes a tiebreaker. That's a great responsibility on us guys but it's not something to be lorded over each other. The picture, again, is that we each have different roles and they fit together and complement each other whenever we're in a godly marriage. Let's run on and we've done. Verse 31 through 32. So he's gonna quote, he, he starts talking to the husband for a whole bunch of verses there, and then he gets down to verse 31 and says, uh, therefore, so he's building his case on why he's talking about, why would he be writing to the Ephesians and, and talking to the wives and telling them to submit to the husbands and the husbands to love their wives sacrificially and then talk to children and, and, and parents and bondservants and masters. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave, so he's quoting that section that we were just in, in, in Genesis. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. So why is he giving these instructions to wives to, to submit to their husbands and husbands that we're going to be talking about next week to, to love their wives sacrificially? He's talking about because he's saying the idea of marriage from the very beginning isn't, isn't just something that God thought up in the way he did it, is that marriage points to a deeper and larger reality. Marriage is, the, the idea of submission in marriage is, first of all, a practical principle because God made us a certain way. He gave us different roles from the very beginning. But it's a spiritual principle as well because God has made us in marriage, husband and wife, to showcase a mystery. To showcase the mystery of how Jesus Christ loves his church and how the church is called to love Jesus Christ back in return. Why is it so important that husbands love their wives well and sacrificially and that women love and respect and submit to their husbands back? Because he created a a practical thing in marriage to showcase a spiritual principle. Because see, Jesus Christ loved the church so much that he came and sacrificed his life for her sake. And the church in return gladly and joyfully 
loves him and submits to him in return. And when people see a godly marriage where a husband is sacrificially loving his wife and giving himself for her, and under that kind of love, she flourishes and she responds in glad, joyful, willing submission to him, people from the outside see a picture of something that cannot be explained apart from Jesus Christ. Because that's not, that is a unique Christian picture of marriage. The idea that a man should be the head of the household was not a revolutionary idea at this time when Paul is writing it. What is a revolutionary idea is that what would be going on in marriage isn't about authority or totalitarianism, but it's about loving submission from a wife to her husband, not because he's great and awesome and gets it right all the time, and not even because he's living sacrificially towards her, but because she is a believing woman who's experienced the grace of Jesus Christ in her life, who's experienced the sacrificial, loving uh, love of her Savior and is responding back to him by responding to her husband in a particular way. In other places, he says, not only do people outside see that, but he says, if your husband is not a believer, he will see that and he'll be captivated by that. It's no promise that he'll become a believer, but it says at least that he'll be captivated by it. That's why marriage is under fire. That's why, that's in general, I don't know why your marriage is under fire. If you're married in here and there's, there's this, all this constant fight and this battle between you, this constant pressure between you two, the fight is coming because the enemy hates that, the, that marriage shows forth the beauty and sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and the church's willing and glad submission to him. It's less about you and your wife or you and your husband. It's more about Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's something that applies to all of us. Not, not all of us in here are married. There's a number of here that are far away from marriage. There's some of us that are hopefully that we're on the track, that you know, maybe we got somebody on our, in our crosshair. Maybe you know, we're not sure. Maybe we're just looking. Maybe we just want to be married, but we're not. It's important for us to think about marriage and the roles of husbands and wives and men and women inside marriage because we want to be prepared for that. Because a lot of us have had really bad instruction on what marriage is about. We think it's really easy. We think it's automatic because we see the, the sitcoms and everything's resolved in 22 minutes and everything's just happy. Something bad happens, the dog poops on the, on the, on the carpet or you know, you know, somebody, something happens and everybody's, there's a problem and then it's all resolved and everybody's smiling at the end. We think that's the way life should be. Life is not like that. Maybe some of us saw where our, our dads just, you know, it was our, their way or the highway, and the wives were made to, to submit and to serve them like they were the king, and they were just serving them servile. We brought that into our thinking as we're looking for marriage, as we've been in relationships that have faltered. That's why they faltered, because we're, we're looking at it that way. We need to change our thinking about marriage, because at the very core, it shows forth a mystery. Submission, joyful submission, reveals the mystery of Jesus' great love for the church. Joyful submission in marriage reveals the mystery of Jesus' great love 
for the church. That's why it's important. So we all want to change our thinking about marriage and how it's supposed to work. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.